Welcome back for episode 23 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The First Trumpet. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is discussing the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. We are now in Revelation chapter 8. We are discussing what happens when the Lord opens the seventh seal of a sealed book. In our last episode, we learned that the seventh seal represents the great tribulation that we all have to go through in our mortal journey on earth. In Revelation 8.1, we see seven angels appear on the scene, and each one has a trumpet. Who are these seven angels, and what do their trumpets signify? Well, this refers to um, what happened in Jerusalem every day, uh, every week. If you, were a, if you were a citizen of Jerusalem at the time of the temple, uh, every morning the temple priests would come out of the temple and they would sing a psalm that was designated for that day. It was sort of like today's lesson, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they would sound their silver trumpets. So this is how the day started in Jerusalem. And the psalms that they sang followed the order of the seven days of creation. So what they were doing over a week's period is sort of reenacting the seven days of creation by quoting scriptures that related to that, okay? Mm -hmm. And they would sound a trumpet to signify the beginning of the day, okay? So on the first day of the week in those days, they would sing Psalm 24. Now, Psalm 24 is all about creation. The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, um, etc., and it commemorates the first day of creation, okay? Mm -hmm. On the second day, they would sing Psalm 48, which is, um, the great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And this, this psalm is about the second day of creation, when the Lord divided his works and reigned over them. And this, this cycle of psalms would repeat each week. It was sort of the come follow me of the time, mm, okay? There you go. <laughs> program Very good. of the time. Now, likewise, in the heavenly temple, John sees the same ritual carried out each day. He sees the seven angels, which represent the seven priests in the temple, right? Mm -hmm. He sees their trumpets sounded on each of the seven days, just as they did in the temple on the earth, okay? Mm -hmm. So everything that happens on earth also happens in heaven, okay? in the heavenly temple. So John says, quote, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. And the sounding of the trumpets of the seven angels are the preparing and finishing of his work, according to Doctrine and Covenants 77, verse 12. During this week, I'm putting air quotes around week, mm -hmm. <laughs> during this week of revelation, okay, mm -hmm. the Lord will sanctify the earth, and complete the salvation of man, judge all things, and redeem all things. That's in Doctrine and Covenant 77. So this is sort of like the recreation. Okay. Mm. So each day of the week in the Jerusalem temple, a priest would start the day by blowing a trumpet. So you're saying this also happens in the heavenly temple. Yeah, what John was seeing was essentially a mirroring of what goes on in the earthly temple. So um, the seven angels could be compared to the seven presidents of the 70 in our church today. That is, mm -hmm. they are the ones who are called to 
quote, bear record of my name in all the world. Um, the senior seventh angel, according to Doctrine and Covenants 88, is Michael, the oh. archangel. Oh, wow. Who is also Adam. Right. Okay, he is the last one who's going to sound his trumpet. So there are seven angels, and the seventh one is Michael or Adam, who will sound his trumpet last. And the reason is he will preside at the great council at Adam Andai Amman that concludes all the dispensations of the gospel. Wow. He's the last one because he was the first one. Right, right. Okay, to first hold. shall be last, he last was, shall be first. He was the first one to hold the keys of the priesthood. And he, um, and he presides over the family of Adam. He will also receive the keys back, last of all, mm. and then present them to the Savior. So along with those uh, seven proclamations of the gospel that the angels make, the trumpets also announce seven judgments on the faithless. This is a quotation from um, Elsie Stefanovich, who is a, a New Testament scholar, studied this, this symbolism of the seven angels. She says, as with the Egyptian plagues, you remember from Exodus, mm -hmm. so the trumpet woes are depicted as judgments. They comprise steps toward the Israelites' deliverance. There are obvious parallels between the trumpets and the plagues of Egypt. I remember you said in our last episode that the seventh seal is sort of a repetition of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. Yes, the escape of the Israelites from Egypt, you'll remember, we talked about this, is a metaphor for the great tribulation we each undergo in our mortal lives. The wandering in the wilderness was hard, uh, which makes it a good symbol for our own lives, which also can be quite hard. Yeah. But there are also blessings. Right. Many blessings fell on Israel during their um, sojourn in the wilderness. You know, this is, this is a really important principle that you can be going through hell and you can still have blessings. Yes. A lot of people don't get this concept. It's yes. really hard to wrap your head around, especially when you're suffering. And, right? and often um, the suffering itself can be a blessing, which sounds very ironic, paradoxical. But we believe in the church, I, I think I believe, that the Lord has an intricate plan for each one of us. Mm -hmm. And if we are faithful, he will occasionally bless us with a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, okay. and, you know, Paul taught us that um, as we suffer, it makes us humble and therefore teachable and therefore in the right place to do God's work, yeah. right? Yeah. As the prophet Job said, I, I, I'm suffering really badly, but I know that when I come out of this, uh, I shall be as refined gold and then I shall see my Redeemer, which is a wonderful passage from the, from the prophet Job. Yeah. Now remember all the blessings that fell on Israel during their sojourn in the wilderness? It wasn't all just tribulation. It was yeah. also, well, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. Right. And manna and water in the desert symbolized his mercy. Right. Now, conversely, many of the trials fell on everyone, both the, the good and the bad and the 
lazy and the hardworking and so forth. Mm-hmm. Quote, it is a false idea, said Joseph Smith, that the saints will escape the, all the judgments while only the wicked suffer. Mm-hmm. For all flesh is subject to suffering and the righteous shall hardly escape. Yeah. Uh, close quote. That's Joseph Smith. He, he gave a talk on this subject in 1839. It's funny how people you know, use this kind of false understanding that if they keep the commandments that they're going to be blessed and not have trial, and it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. No, the, the sentence I read this way, if they keep the commandments, they will be blessed. Now, sometimes the blessing comes in the form of a hard time. Right. Okay. And helping you through the hard time. Yes. Right. Now, remember, in the temple, we are all Adam and Eve, right? And our journey through the wilderness recapitulates the thorny trials of Adam and Eve. Remember all the thorns and and briars and so forth, Mm -hmm. which symbolize the trials of this life, which are caused by contention and injustice and illness and death, which, if you remember, are the four horsemen. Right. Okay. The man on the white horse is not here to save you. <laughs> no. He's here to put you up. He's, he's here to he's, conquer. Yeah, yeah he's, conquer. Here to, he's here to uh, cause, uh, he's, he's here to be a tyrant. Right. The question is, according to Revelation chapter 6, who shall be able to stand? So living in this dual situation, being suffering, but also being victors, if we're faithful, we are sustained by God like Israel in the wilderness. So as you read Exodus, think of it as your own life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you foul up a lot, you mess up, you make mistakes, you grumble, you mumble, but you keep going. Mm -hmm. You you press forward in steadfastness, right? Yes. yes. As they did. Mm -hmm. And eventually, um, and and they're sustained by God all the way. He's with them all the way, Mm -hmm. right? So the trumpets have a double meaning. The trumpets in Revelation chapter 8. They signify, according to um, Jacques Ellul, my favorite French theologian, they signify, quote, the judgments of God, but also the call for the triumphant assembly of the elect and for their liberation. In the same way, the trumpets of Jericho destroyed the city, which represented the world, and they announced the entrance of the elect people into the promised land. So the seven trumpets in Revelation are like the seven trumpet calls that brought down the walls of Jericho? Yes. The fall of Jericho is a metaphor for the end of the celestial world we live in. The walls of Jericho came down just like the walls of Babylon come down in the last days as the Lord puts an end to the rule of Satan. So the seven trumpets... Bring down the walls of Babylon, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow, that's cool. When Israel sins, God chastises them, right? Just Mm -hmm. as he chastised the Egyptians with plagues. If these penalties don't bring repentance, he says in Leviticus, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. If you continue to walk contrary to me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring down seven more plagues upon you. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, I will punish you yet seven times. Okay, mm-hmm. This is Leviticus uh, 26. The reason that there are seven trumpets is that he keeps, he keeps bringing down judgments 
in hopes that people will repent and change. Mm -hmm. And of course they don't. Mm -hmm. Now, when the seventh trumpet sounds, the harshest woes of all are inflicted. Uh, the judgments of the, and we will see this later, the judgments of the seven bowls. This is a bad time. <laughs> they leave only desolation behind. Mm -hmm. As Isaiah prophesied, therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. Isaiah chapter 24, 6. So what is the significance of the first trumpet? On the first morning of each week, the temple priests would blow their trumpets and read Psalm 24 to the assembled worshipers. Now, I'm going to read a part of Psalm 24. Quote, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. So appropriately, the week begins with a psalm about the first day of creation. The temple, the hill of the Lord, symbolized that first day. So the psalmist goes on uh, to ask, quote, Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Uh, the answer, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So those who keep their covenants go up and serve in the temple, right? Those who don't, the judgment falls on them. Now, on the morning of the first day of creation, God brought order, right? He organized the earth. He brought order to confusion and emptiness. Genesis chapter 1, the Hebrew term is tohu wabohu, which meant, which meant um, a whole bunch of chaos, right? Confusion and emptiness. Now, the first trumpet announces that we're going to see some disintegration, the, the, the decreation we talked about last time. Mm -hmm. Isaiah prophesies, The sword of the Lord shall come down upon the world, and the Lord shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. In other words, the tohu abohu is coming back. The Lord is going to bring back the chaos, the first day of creation. Isaiah talks about the many covenant breakers who swear deceitfully, and that causes confusion and chaos to spread. So the first trumpet marks the first day of the decreation? Right. Quote, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Interestingly enough, lightning and hail often ignite destructive wildfire in the Middle East. This is a common pattern. Hmm. One of the plagues of Egypt was a thundering hailstorm with fire darting to the ground. Uh, in, <laughs> I, have to, I have to add this. I personally experienced this. I was in Jerusalem once when a sudden violent hailstorm uh, hit just as I was visiting the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Oh, wow. I mean, it was the most intense hailstorm I've ever experienced. Wow. It was kind of scary. Yeah, okay. that would be scary. And I was, I was right on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. When this on hit. the high ground. On the high ground, yes. <laughs> when this hailstorm hit. Now, the first trumpet introduces uh, autumn, right? The, mm -hmm. the dark months. 
And this imagery reminds us that winter storms in Palestine can be very destructive. I saw that. Quote from a um, New Testament scholar named Scott Nogle. He says this, Hail figures as signs of Yahweh's judgment. Not only were fire and water present at the destruction of Sodom, but the creation of the world involved torrents of water mixed with fire. That closes the quote. In the midst of thunder and lightning on Sinai, remember, Israel made a covenant of obedience, the token of which was the atoning blood on the altar. When Israel violated that covenant, quote, the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them. That's Numbers 11. Disobedience puts us at odds with the whole creation. The creation starts to disintegrate. In Revelation 8 and in 3 Nephi 8, a tremendous tempest brings about decreation. Quote, and 3 Nephi says, deforming the face of the whole earth with terrible thunder and exceedingly sharp lightnings. Hugh Nibley said, said, when Israel and mankind sin, nature itself is thrown into confusion so that the violent destructions that overtake the wicked are of their own making. You're saying that we bring this fiery destruction upon ourselves. Absolutely. Such storms also symbolize warfare. The Assyrian attack on the rebellious northern kingdom of Israel, Isaiah likened it to a tempest of hail and a destroying storm. Um, Joseph Smith links sword and bloodshed to the thunder of heaven and the fierce and vivid lightning as manifesting the chastening hand of an almighty God, Doctrine and Covenants 87. So the trumpet, the first trumpet, signals war poured out upon all nations. Blood mingles with the storm as armies destroy each other. Great slaughter arises from pride of hearts because of their exceeding riches, their oppression to the poor, murdering, plundering, lying, stealing, committing adultery, and rising up in great contentions. That's uh, the Book of Mormon, Helaman chapter 4, verse 12. So that is what the first trumpet brings. It also says something kind of puzzling. A third part of the trees and all the green grass are consumed at the first trumpet. Well, what does that mean? In John's time, just like today, the ancient economy was fueled by destructive mining and deforestation. The forests of um, Asia Minor fed metal-working furnaces. In ancient times, there were many, many more forests across Turkey and Palestine and so forth, and they're gone. Mm -hmm. They're gone because they were destroyed. Mining and smelting of metals required enormous amounts of wood, which exacerbated the deforestation of the land. Uh, John saw this. He saw this. They would burn 20 square miles of trees to smelt just 100 talents of silver. Mm. While a single major ancient metallurgical center required as much as a million acres of forest. Oh, good grief. They used huge quantities of wood to make gold and silver. Mm. These pillaging operations stripped the watersheds out. One historian of the time says this, the result was ruinous. Soil erosion following deforestation left mountains wasted like rocky skeletons and poisoned the rivers. 
as they depleted the land, the great powers looked elsewhere. For example, the Greeks conquered Sicily for its forests, mm. so they could cut down all the wood. The hunger for wood was a prime driver of empire. People wonder, well, why did the Romans create an empire? Why did the Greeks create an empire? Why did Alexander? What they were after was wood. <laughs> they wanted to cut down the forest so they could smelt gold and silver. Yeah, so they could feed the beast, right? Right. And so the hunger for wood meant constant warfare. Wow. So the destruction of the environment is a sign of the last days. Right. We do the same thing. We pillage the environment. And war just makes it worse. Mm. Just look at what's going on in Ukraine right now. The armies are destroying the land, right? They are. Uh, war brings further destruction of the landscape. It's, uh, this is what um, Peter Perry, who is a Bible scholar, says. It's probable that John or some of his hearers had first or second-hand experience of the siege of Jerusalem, which took place in the year 70. A tactic in siege warfare was to burn or cut down the forests and orchards around the city to deprive the defenders of wood and food and defensive materials and places to hide. So all the forestry around Jerusalem was destroyed. Now here's another, I think, a really important issue. In the scriptures, tall trees symbolized proud, self-exalting people. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, a tall tree was often used as a symbol for a jerk, <laughs> a tyrant, okay. somebody who's who's so rich and so powerful that he made everybody's life miserable. Like Nimrod, who challenged the heavens. Uh, Isaiah says this, The day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up. And he shall be brought low, and upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, it's not that the Lord is going to cut down the trees of Lebanon. It's that the trees of Lebanon signify these high and mighty princes that he is going to cut down. The Lord promises to lop the bow with terror, and the high winds of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. That's Isaiah chapter 10. The trees are symbols of the great ones of society, the powerful people. The grass represents the common people who suffer because of the excesses of tyrants. Um, you think of all the millions of people who were killed in World War II. Most of them were not soldiers. Mm -mm. They were common people who were completely rolled over and bulldozed by the effects of war. Millions of people died. This is what is meant by when the grass shall be burned. Okay. So trees are a polyvalent symbol? They represent actual forests that are destroyed by mankind. They also represent wicked rulers and big shots. Yes, John. In Revelation, he is um, categorizing the wicked people into three groups. One group is burnt up, another dies by the sword, and a third is scattered to the wind by Assyria and Babylon. The prophet Zechariah said, two parts shall be cut off and die the third part shall be left. Jesus divided the people into three groups in his parable of the Good Samaritan. Like Cain, 
there are people who are thieves. They rob, they wound, they kill out of covetousness, right? The second group are hypocrites. Hypocrisy characterizes the second group. These are the priest and Levite who walk past the wounded man. But the third group is represented by the Samaritan who, quote, shows mercy on the man, the wounded man, and represents a third way, which is the way of Christ. John is talking about thirds. Uh, he notes that a third part of God's family followed Lucifer, right? And that is in chapter 12, verse 4. These are the thieves who, out of eternal envy, would rob us of our agency, right? These are the, the spirits that follow him, that are constantly at war with us, trying to deprive us of our agency. There's another class of people, and these are the self-sufficient people who need no Christ. And they follow their own path. But the third group, these are the wise. And he says, quote, in Zechariah, he says, I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined. I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, this is my people. They shall say, the Lord is my God. That's Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. Let's make sure that we're part of that group. Yeah, that's the group okay. I want to be in. So the first trumpet proclaims judgment and the possibility of repentance. The blood of war, but also the atoning blood of Christ. While the storm cuts down the proud and the hypocrite, it refines and purifies those who persist on the covenant path toward the hill of the Lord or the promised land. In our next episode, we're going to see what happens when the second trumpet is sounded. I can't wait to hear what that sounds like. Thanks. <laughs>